Uh, if you would turn with me in the Bible to Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is the last of the Psalms. Psalms are about halfway through the Bible, so if you open the Bible halfway, you might find it. Or you can always look at the table of contents at the beginning. Or you can look at the bulletin for the page number. Um, 624, thank you. Uh, 624 in the Red Pew Bible. Uh, so the Psalms are a collection of songs and prayers that were written by several different authors over several hundred years. They were gradually collected together into a song book or prayer book uh, that the ancient Israelites used when they gathered together to worship. So uh, these were prayers not only that people used individually on their own, but also that they sung uh, uh, when they came together. And the Psalms have been sung and prayed and memorized and put to music uh, by Jews and Christians throughout history. So on our final Sunday of this year, I want to look at the final song in the collection, Psalm 150. So let's, um, in fact, let me invite you, if you want to, to um, uh, read this song together with me uh, out loud. Uh, because again, the Psalms were uh, meant to be for the people of God to praise the Lord. So let's read it out loud together. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I wonder when have you experienced a preview of something wonderful and glorious? Uh, maybe you've been part of a band or an orchestra or a choir rehearsing together for an upcoming performance. Now, rehearsals in themselves aren't always exciting. In fact, rehearsals tend to involve a lot of repetition and stopping and starting, and we got to go over this because we didn't quite do it right. Uh, but uh, despite all of the challenges of rehearsing, if you're with a committed group of people, a rehearsal can increase your anticipation of the performance. To come. Uh, maybe you've been part of an athletic team uh, preparing for an upcoming tournament or a big game. Uh, practices, again, might be tough and exhausting. The coach might be yelling at everyone. You might be repeating the same drills over and over, but it's all building your preparation and anticipation for the big game to come. Uh, or if you're married, perhaps you remember the day that you got engaged. Uh, it wasn't just a day when you gave or received a piece of jewelry. It was a day to look forward to spending the rest of your life together. Right? Every time you see an engagement ring, you see not only what it is, but what it points forward to. Uh, or on a more mundane level, maybe you get home from work or from doing errands. You're tired and hungry. You open the door and you're greeted by the smell of tacos cooking on the stove or an apple pie cooking in the oven, or whatever your favorite meal or dessert is. Now, the smell all by itself doesn't satisfy your hunger, but again, it might be enough to hold you over 
until it comes out of the oven, until it's on the table, and you can have a feast. There are all kinds of things in the world that awaken our anticipation, that are little previews of something greater and more glorious to come. And that's what this last psalm that we just read is meant to be. It's a preview of a glorious eternity of uninterrupted praise. It's the conclusion to the Psalms, and it's the conclusion toward which our lives are meant to point us if we have turned to Jesus and trusted him as our Savior and Lord. So today I want us to spend some time sort of listening to this preview of eternity. Uh, glimpsing through it, the glorious future that God has promised to bring about and rehearsing together for it. Uh, so I want to look at today's psalm from three vantage points. Number one, I want to look at Psalm 150 by itself, just sort of on its own. Second, I want us to look at Psalm 150 as the conclusion to all of the psalms. And third, I want us to look at Psalm 150 as the conclusion toward which our lives are meant to be headed. Uh, so first, Psalm 150 by itself. Uh, this is not a complicated psalm. Uh, as you probably noticed when we were reading it together, there's only one verb in the whole psalm. Praise, as it appears, 13 times in all. It's short and straightforward. It's loud and clear. It says, praise the Lord everywhere for everything he is and everything he has done with everything that we have and everything that we are. Praise the Lord. So verse 1 tells us where the Lord should be praised, and the answer is everywhere, on earth and in heaven. In his sanctuary, that would have referred to the temple, the place where uh, God's people gathered to worship him in Jerusalem, but also in, in his mighty heavens. Uh, literally, that means in the expanse of his might, in the universe, in the vastness of the universe over which God sits enthroned in glory. So everywhere in the whole universe, on earth and in heaven, God is worthy to be praised. Verse 2 tells us why God is worthy to be praised. And the answer is because of everything he is and everything he has done. Praise him for his mighty deeds. In other words, praise God for what he's done for us. Uh, for his acts of wonder, his displays of power, the great things he has done. And we can look all around and see God's mighty deeds. We can see God's mighty deeds uh, just in uh, nature, in the changing of the seasons, in things that are beautiful and marvelous and breathtakingly awesome in the world. We can also see God's mighty deeds on behalf of his people. If we read the stories in the Bible, we've been reading Exodus and looking at the story of how God set the people free from slavery and bondage in Egypt and how he brought them out uh, and called them to be his very own people. So they could worship him freely. Uh, later on, the Bible talks about how the people uh, sort of messed everything up and were sent into exile. But then God gathered them and brought them back home again. And we see that God is a God not just of giving us one chance, but giving us second chances and showing us mercy and forgiveness when we failed and when we've fallen short. Uh, we can look at the miracles of Jesus, how Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry and cleansed the lepers and raised the dead and all kinds of God's mighty deeds and merciful deeds. Uh, but the Bible doesn't just talk about what God has done. It also tells us who God is. That's the second half of verse 2. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So the Bible shows us God's steadfast love. And when the Bible talks about steadfast love, it means his unwavering commitment to his people. When God makes a promise, he sticks to it. And he does. 
doesn't walk, he doesn't um, forget it. And the Bible talks about his compassion and mercy. Right? It's not just that God uh, does what he says he would do, but God feels uh, affection for us. Uh, I believe it describes God in that way. It's amazing even to think about how uh, how an eternal and infinite God could, could feel uh, affection. But the Bible says God's not just an, an abstract force out there. No, he's a personal God who feels compassion for us, uh, has deep feelings of, of love and kindness toward us. The Bible talks about God's wisdom that is beyond our grasp, that is inscrutable. We can't completely understand it. And God's justice that is rock solid. Uh, so, praise the Lord everywhere in heaven and on earth. Because of everything he's done and everything he is, verse 3 through 5 tells us how the Lord should be praised with everything we have and everything we are. Now, verse, these verses mention a wide variety of musical instruments. There are wind instruments. Uh, string instruments, rhythm instruments, there are instruments for sort of solemn occasions like the trumpet, which was blown uh, for sort of solemn, formal occasions, or for joyful celebrations like the lute and the harp, which would be more like when you uh, have a bunch of friends over and are singing together, uh, and for uh, casual, everyday life. Um, the strings and the pipe, those were things that, you know, just individual people might, uh, might play at different times. Right, so the indication we get from these verses is we shouldn't just sing God's praises when we're sort of gathered here together in a formal setting on Sunday morning in the church building, uh, but we should also sing God's praise informally. Maybe that's when you're at home with your family or uh, uh, even by yourself, driving the car. That could be a great way to praise the Lord, right? Because nobody, if, you, if your voice isn't that great, you're... You know, feel shy about singing in front of other people. Nobody else is going to hear you if you're alone in the car. Um, you can sing as loud as you want. That's a wonderful way to praise the Lord. Um, so, uh, you know, some simple ways to do this at home with the people you live with. Uh, so for a couple of years when our kids were younger, we got in the habit of singing the doxology before meals. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great thing if you have, uh, you know, kids, kids of any age can catch on to it. You sing it a few times and everybody knows it, and it's sort of short, doesn't uh, doesn't go on and on and on forever, um, but it's a way to sing and praise the Lord uh, together. Um, sometimes we'll sing a verse or two of a hymn at bedtime, and uh, that's another way that we enjoy praising the Lord together. Um, uh, at other times, we've listened to worship music in the car. That's also been a helpful way. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can do this, but the encouragement from this psalm is... Let God's praises, let, let, let's sing God's praises and find ways for that to sort of weave into all the parts of our lives um, when we're together as well as more informally. Um, and uh, we can, uh, God is worthy to be praised with everything we have and everything we are. And verse 6 tells us who should praise the Lord. And the answer is everyone and everything, everybody, everything that has breath. If you're alive and breathing, this includes you. Uh, praise the Lord everywhere, for everything he is and everything he's done, with everything we have, everybody. Right? That's what Psalm 150 is about when we look at it by itself. But second, I want us to consider Psalm 150 as the conclusion to the book of Psalms. Uh, so uh, within the book of Psalms, there are actually five books within it. So if you uh, turn back to Psalm 1, 
you will notice uh, before, above Psalm 1, it will say, Book 1. And if you jump ahead to Psalm 42, it will say, Book 2. And Book 3 starts at Psalm 73, Book 4 starts at Psalm 90, and Book 5 starts at Psalm 107. Now, you might wonder, why are there five books within the Psalms? And uh, the short answer is we are not 100% sure how this developed historically. Uh, maybe book one compiled at a certain time, book two compiled a little later and added on, or were they just different collections different people had that were brought together? We're not totally sure how that happened, uh, but here's a good reason why it happened. So there's also five books of Moses that begin the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And those five books altogether are meant to be sort of a summary of God's good instruction given through Moses or associated with Moses. And the five books of the Psalms are meant to say that this is a complete collection, just like Genesis through Deuteronomy collects God's teaching through Moses. The Psalms are a complete collection of God's good instruction, especially associated with David. Uh, David is the author of about half of the Psalms. And then uh, about a third of the Psalms are anonymous. We don't know who wrote them. They don't have an author's name attached to them. Uh, so it could be all kinds of people who wrote them. And then there are six other authors that are named in the Psalms. But uh, the point is, uh, these five books show this is a complete collection uh, of uh, Psalms. And if you read through the Psalms, uh, you'll notice that the Psalms cover all kinds of life situations. So there are Psalms of lament, where people are crying out to God in the midst of distress. Uh, psalms of confession, where people are asking God for forgiveness for their sins and their failures. Uh, there are Psalms of uh, wisdom, reflecting on God's law and God's ways and why they're a good thing. There are Psalms of trust, where uh, you know people start out feeling anxious and are reminding themselves of God's promises and are sort of singing a song to help uh, to help affirm and strengthen their own trust in God. So the Psalms are written in all different kinds of life circumstances. They help us to approach God in prayer, starting from wherever we are. Um, and if you read through the Psalms, at first glance, it seems like these Psalms are sort of all mixed up together throughout the book. Uh, so there's not one group of lament psalms, one group of praise psalms, one group of confession psalms, right? They're not sort of organized that way throughout the book. They're all sort of scattered here and there. Um, and in some ways, that's sort of how we experience life, right? Our life does not come to us in neat compartments. Here's a happy year. Here's a sad year. The reality is most years have a mix of happy and sad things. Um, and many times we have a might have a sad thing right next to a happy thing in our life. And Psalm sort of helps us because it's sort of saying, yeah, start wherever you are. And this, these prayers can help you to praise the Lord and turn to God. So life is sort of a mix. Um, but here's the interesting thing. When you look at the Psalms as a whole, there is an overall progression. It's not deeply compartmentalized, but there is a progression. So the lament Psalms, when people are crying out to God for help, in the midst of distress, are concentrated toward the beginning of the book of Psalms. So in book one, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. And in books two and three, at least half are laments. But in book four and book five, the tone shifts. Lament sort of goes into the background, and praise becomes more prominent. 
and the proportions get flipped. So only one quarter of the psalms in books four and five are laments, and at least half are psalms of praise. So isn't that interesting? You sort of see this overall progression from lamenting, crying up to God in distress, to praising at the end. And even more, each of the five books concludes with a word of praise. So if you look at the end of chapter 41, the last verse says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's the end of book one. The end of book two, same thing. Chapter 72, verse 18 and 19. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And amen just means, so be it. May it be so. Uh, uh, the end of book three, the end of Psalm 89. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. End of book four, end of Psalm 106. Blessed be the Lord from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. So every book in the Psalms ends with praise. But then when you get to the end of the book of Psalms as a whole, it's not just a verse of praise. It's five whole Psalms of praise. So if you look at 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, they all begin and end with praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Psalm 146 is a psalm of individual praise. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Psalm 147 is a psalm of corporate praise, people praising in his goodness and praises to our God. Psalm 148 is a psalm where the whole universe praises God, praise the Lord from the heavens. It talks about God's creation and how it reflects his glory. Uh, psalm 149 talks about God's praise going out to the world, sing to the Lord a new song, and invites people to join in the song of praise. And Psalm 150 is the conclusion, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Uh, so one commentator, Derek Kidner, on the book of Psalms wrote this, five joyous psalms of praise bring the, the book of Psalms to a close. So the psalms are a miniature of our story which will end in unbroken blessing and delight. And that's the point I want to land on this morning. The third point is Psalm 150 is not just a wonderful psalm in itself. It's not just a wonderful conclusion to the book of Psalms, but it's also the conclusion to our lives. The conclusion that God is inviting us to aim our lives toward and live our lives for and spend our lives anticipating and preparing for and rehearsing for. You see, the book of John Psalms leads us on a journey from lament to praise. And that's the movement that our lives, our earthly lives, are meant to follow. Every one of us came into the world lamenting. Right? What is the first thing that a baby does when a baby is born? She cries. And that's a healthy thing. Right? If you have a baby that's born that doesn't make any noise at all, you start working. Right? If you have a baby that's born and makes a loud noise, you think, oh, that's good, right? That's a good sign, <clears throat> the sign of health. Um, because that's the only way a baby can communicate. Every one of us comes into this world with nothing. We come into this world desperately needy, crying out for help that we cannot provide for ourselves. And that's also the way that the Bible says we can come, we come into the kingdom of God. The Bible talks about being born again. In other words, born spiritually of the Holy Spirit working in us, becoming a new person 
through Jesus Christ. And the way we come into the kingdom of God or be born again is saying, Lord, help me. I can't do this on my own. I need you, Jesus. I need what you have done for me on the cross. And what, what, and I can't do that for myself. That's the only way to become a Christian. You can't become a Christian by trying hard, doing a lot of religious things, or doing a lot of good works to help other people, and then saying, have I done enough? I think I can call myself a Christian now. No. The Bible says we become Christian by simply recognizing our need for God, just like a baby comes out of the womb and cries out, recognizing his or her need uh, for help beyond ourselves. Um, we become a Christian by recognizing our desperate need for God's mercy, turning to Jesus and receiving what he has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. And as we grow up as followers of Jesus, as we become more aware of our brokenness and sinfulness, as we look at the world around us and become more aware of the brokenness of the world we live in, our laments don't stop. And actually they grow deeper and, more, and broader and more earnest. So here's another interesting pattern in the Psalms. Book one has mostly what are called individual laments, where it's a person crying out to God, help me in my situation. But when you get to book two and three, they contain a lot of communal laments. In other words, people lamenting the injustice and brokenness of the world around them and asking God to intervene and saying, Lord, why are things the way they are? Lord, come and help us. Not just help me with my own problems, but help us. Help your people. Help this world that you have made. So the Psalms don't paint a picture of a spiritual life that just gets easier and rosier and happier every day. In fact, the Psalms show us that we might begin by asking God for help and forgiveness with our own problems, and we might continue by asking God to help other people around us and help this world that we live in and help the church that we're part of because we see how much we need God's help. Sometimes life does get harder and not easier over time when we're following Jesus because he leads us to come alongside others to lament with them and bear with them. And loved him. But here's the thing. The Psalms don't leave us just in a cycle of unending lament. Slowly but surely, they lead us from lament to praise. And that's where the final word of each book in the Psalms and the final word of the, the last five Psalms and the final word in the life of a Christian is praise. Right? We begin the Christian life by saying, help me, Lord, I need you. But as we go through the Christian life and as we look back on God's faithfulness, and especially as we come to the end of our earthly lives, we can look back and say, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. That's how God wants us to grow and develop and mature, is to go from lament, sometimes into deeper lament, but to lead for all our laments to ultimately lead. You know, one of the signs of real spiritual maturity in an older person is a kind of contentment and gratitude. Uh, 
We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4, I've learned the secret of being content. Right? It's a lesson we're all supposed to learn throughout our whole lives, but I think especially toward the end of our life, as Paul was writing Philippians toward the end of his life. He's saying, I've learned this lesson of being content and grateful. You know, it's, it's easy to grow, to grow old and become careless, apathetic, and disengaged. Right? Some people just sort of give up, and they become discouraged and see that maybe they've been hurt many times. It's easy to just become careless, apathetic, and disengaged. It's also easy to become cranky, irritable, and critical as we grow older. But over the years, I've been blessed to see many followers of Jesus who, as they have grown older, even as they have endured perhaps more pains, more hurts, more disappointments, and more sorrows, that they have leaned into their walk with Jesus, and the beautiful fruit of that has been gratitude, praise, contentment, and patience. And that's a beautiful thing that we can all aspire towards wherever we are at in our life. Is Can we bring our laments and longings to God wherever we're at in our life? But as we go further along the way, can we praise and thank God more and more? Because as we go through our earthly life, we have more and more things to thank and praise God for. Right? That we can look back and see how he's helped us in our lives, how he's sustained us, how he's cared for us, how he's cared for other people. We can learn more of the Bible and see more things in the Bible that we can praise God for. So as we go through our earthly lives, as we, if we are growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we will have more and more to praise him for. And that is a beautiful thing that we all want to aim for. You see, praise begins when we turn our eyes to the Lord and see that God still reigns even over this crazy world. Praise continues when we see how God has intervened in the world, in the past, in our own lives, and above all, praise continues when we look at Jesus Christ and see that God intervened for this broken and sinful world by sending his one and only son, by coming into this world in person to pay for our sins once and for all, to rise triumphant over death and the grave, and one day it says he'll come back and put everything right forever. One day in the light of his eternal glory, heaven and earth will be made new. All our tears will be wiped away, and all our laments and longings will turn to everlasting praise. And the Bible says that that eternal glory will outweigh and outlast all the hurts and all the disappointments and all the burdens that we carry throughout all of our earthly lives. And they will seem like a shadow or a mist that has passed away in the light of God's glory. Psalm 150 is a preview of that glorious day when the praise of God's people will never again be interrupted. Now sometimes people have questions about this idea of endless praise. Some people say, but a world of endless praise, that sounds boring. If there were no challenges, no contrasts, no conflicts, only endless peace and endless praise, we would all get tired of it after a few, le- a few years. Like some people get tired of being retired. If they simply stop working abruptly and don't do anything else. But the, here's the problem 
with that objection. That objection presumes that there can never be anything better than what we have already experienced. And it wrongly assumes that when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's just talking about our present experience of life in this world stretched out for an endless amount of time. But when the Bible is talking about eternal life, it's not just saying life as we know it today in this broken and fallen world that is sometimes boring and repetitive and futile. It's saying a new kind of life that Jesus Christ came to pour into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and which one day will fill the earth with his glory forever. The eternal life that Jesus promises is qualitatively different. It's not just immortality that goes on and on forever. It's a whole new kind of life, and it's a kind of life that this present world only gives us previews of. We only get little glimpses, little tastes. You see, in the Bible, eternal life is compared to a wedding feast or to a flesh and blood reunion of long-separated lovers. Citizenship in the city where God himself dwells, ruling over a renewed heaven and earth. When the Bible talks about an eternal Sabbath rest, it's not talking about endless sleep. No, it's talking about sharing in God's eternal delight over the world that he's created. Eternal life will never be boring. Because God is infinite, we will never be able to plumb the depths of his infinity. There will always be more to grasp more to appreciate, more to explore. There will never, it will, so 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, the God of the Bible is a God of wonderful surprises. The greatest surprise that we can look back on was when God raised Jesus from the dead, three days after he was crucified. His disciples thought it was the end, it was hopeless, and then God raised Jesus from the dead. To the surprise and shock of every last one of his disciples, they weren't expecting it. They doubted it. They had to be convinced that it was real. And surely we have many glorious surprises awaiting us in the world to come that we won't be able to guess in advance. We'll find ourselves with even more reasons to praise God than we have today. And so the summons that Psalm 150 extends to us is to begin rehearsing for our everlasting song of praise right here and right now. Our songs of praise today will be halting and imperfect. Our voices and our hearts will often be off-key and out of tune. We'll get interrupted, we'll get distracted, but one day the glory of God will cover the earth and our praise will never end. One day the shadows will disappear and we'll see Jesus our Savior face to face. More than anything else that we are anticipating, Psalm 150 summons us to live our lives in anticipation of that glorious day. More than we anticipate the next concert, more than we anticipate the next big game, more than we anticipate the next meal, more than we anticipate whatever we're looking forward to. At the end of his book, The City of God, written in a time of turmoil and upheaval in the world of his day, the 5th century African church leader Augustine wrote these words, How great shall be that happiness, which shall be tainted with no evil, which shall lack no good, and which shall afford leisure for the praises of God, which shall be all in all. 
True honor shall be there. True peace shall be there. God himself shall be there. Shall there be its reward. And we shall perfectly be at rest and shall perfectly know that he is God. There we shall rest and see, be in love, love and praise. This is what shall be in the end without end. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this psalm that helps us to rehearse for that glorious day when we will stand in your presence, when we will see you face to face. And Lord, today we hope that the reason why we have that hope of standing in your presence and praising you is because of what you did by sending your son into the world. And but because of his faithfulness and his obedience and his even to the point of death on a cross, so that our sins might be wiped away, so that we might be made new, so that we might be born again and brought into your kingdom. And so that we might learn to cry out to you for help and lament, but that we might also learn more and more to praise and thank you for what we have received and what you have done and who you are. Help us to see through this psalm a preview of eternity. Help us uh, to anticipate that above all else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.